Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Brown. Now, this podcast is dedicated to profiling and supporting authors in ethical economics and those committed to creating a fairer, more successful society for all of us. Today, I'm speaking with Kenny Jamieson. Now, Kenny is a leading brand and business consultant who has written a truly amazing book, A World in Two Minds, Why We Must Change Our Thinking to Change Our Future. Now, this book is so far reaching in its scope, we wanted to give you a taster of what's in the book. And this is what we're doing today. We then want to encourage you to go and get the book and read it and then return for another podcast with the author where you can send in your questions. As you will learn, the book has some amazing ideas and it can be a challenge to read in places simply because there is so much in it. So that's where these podcasts come in so you can get the extraordinary value from Kenny's book. So have a listen, get the book and get in touch with us at shepherdwalwin.com with your questions for Kenny and I'll put them to him when we next speak. Thanks very much, and let's get into the interview. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next instalment of the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown, and today I'm here with Kenny Jameson, who's written a fabulous book called A World in Two Minds, Why We Must Change Our Thinking to Change Our Future. So, for those of you on YouTube, here's the um, copy. Now, this is going to take a a slightly different turn to previous podcasts. We're going to do... um, this is going to be the first one, and I'm going to talk to Kenny about why he wrote the book, um, what his intention was, and what you as a reader will get from reading it. And then in a few weeks, when I've read the book and completed it, we're going to have another conversation about the key ideas. Um, and so in the meantime, our encouragement is to buy the book and have a read along. Um, and then let's see if we can send it. If you want to send in any questions, then I'll see if I can put them to Kenny. Um, so, Kenny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Nice to, yeah. nice to be here. So, Kenny, I I've obviously know a little bit about your background. I just wonder for the listeners, could you give us a, um, a background to, your, you know, to, to growing up in, in, in Scotland, moving into, the, into the, mostly the drinks business, isn't it, for the first mm-hmm. most of your career, and yep. now as a, as a marketing, winning your own marketing firm? Yes. Um, yeah, grew up and born, born and bred in Falkirk in central Scotland. Um, parents are both teachers, were both teachers, so I guess I come from a, a sort of... A, an academic background certainly always encouraged to to learn and and, and uh, be interested in learning. Went to Edinburgh University, did a degree in social sciences. So I'm so I'm, a, I'm a social scientist to trade, um, uh, but I went into marketing, which is obviously one of many social sciences. So 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 I spent all of my career in in marketing and innovation. Um, as you said, the vast majority of that time spent in the drinks industry. So um, so. On the one hand, whilst I've spent you know most of my time essentially flogging booze, um, on the other, I've always had a lifelong interest in how human beings operate, how they think, what motivates them. Because ultimately, marketing is a is a social science and is about understanding human motivation, gathering insights, um, in order, in my case, to to manipulate them into into buying particular brands of booze. Um, but then my time was spent in innovation and new product development also got me fascinated in in how the brain works and how creativity works and how you um, develop new ideas and how you overcome pre-existing ideas. Um, and, and so, so I've always been fascinated by the mind, but it's it, it, throughout my career, it's always been applied to 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 marketing and, and innovation in the, in the commercial world. So, um, so the book. So, on the one hand, while it looks like a complete departure from perhaps from where I've come from, it is very much building on um, an area of interest that I've that I've always had since I, since I left university. Was it was there some things when you were a kid though? If you got parents or teachers are encouraging you to figure out why things worked a certain way or how things mm-hmm. worked? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, we've we've always been. I've got three brothers, and we, we you know we're all strongly encouraged to to stick in at school to to study to learn to grow to develop to always challenge things to and 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 to maintain that you know not not to not to leave school or university and, and and you know just forget about learning so I've always been a, a an avid reader I mean I've always a, a, enjoyed reading and, and gaining different perspectives um, I've always enjoyed traveling because traveling allows you to to explore and to experience different cultures and to see um other people's perspectives and how other people live and how other people think so so yeah absolutely that's that's you know always been sort of core i suppose to 
to who I am. Um, and it's always been a, it was always an ambition to, to, to write a book, as, a, as is true for many, many people. Uh, I, I never really, I always knew that the book would be in this field, but I never really knew exactly what it would be about, actually, until I, until I finished it, to be perfectly honest. Because even when I, even when I started writing it, I, it wasn't one of those books where I could have told you in advance what all of the chapters were going to contain and, and, and how the story would end. It was a, it was a, it was a book that started me on a voyage of discovery that led to the book. But until I sort of wrote the, the last word, I wasn't completely sure um, what, what, you know, how, the, how, the, how the story would end. That's amazing. Now, you, you talk at the, at the beginning of the book, um, in the introduction, you said, a few years ago, after yet another news bulletin consisting almost entirely of stories of conflict or catastrophe, which I think is something that that our listeners would really recognise in 2021. Um, I began to wonder if there is a deeper explanation for why our world seems to be in such a mess. When we are such social animals, why does it seem so difficult for people to live together in peace? With so much wealth, why are we unable to ensure that everyone at least has the bare essentials? Why can't we strike the right balance in providing sufficient of life luxuries um, and not damage the planet of sustaining human life in the future? Um, Which are questions which are even more relevant today. Right. Mm. But yeah. um, so, so, but it just when when I read that, it just sounded such a strange thing for to happen to someone out of the blue. So I'm thinking, wait, well, it can't have happened out of the blue. So you, what <laughs> you were saying just then, it was that you were always encouraged to explore and to yeah. you know, to, to learn and to grow. Mm. Um, and so you started yeah. out on the journey. Mm. What was that first stage of re- of discovery then that you set out within the book? Mm-hmm. Well, even you know, go, go back a couple of steps from that. When I, I I left I left the drinks industry in two thousand and five and started my own consultancy, and and um, st- still in the in the marketing and innovation field. And one of the things that uh, I did, um, you know, in order to be a consultant was to develop tools and processes that you could then go and engage clients with and and, and sell to clients and, and yeah. having having a methodology. For, for approaching problems because a lot of brand management challenges and um, and innovation challenges really start, start with defining defining a problem yeah um, and I think you know I, I think everybody knows the quote from Einstein or certainly attributed to Einstein that uh, you know a, a well-defined problem is 90 percent solved so you, you know so so part of my um, innovation process or my my consultancy process um, was was to, to the first stage is very much immersion. So define what you think yeah. the problem is, then immerse yourself in the in the problem and look at it from as many different perspectives as you possibly can. And that's very much part of what you know what's required in creativity and innovation to come at things from lots of different angles. And then once you get beyond immersion, you get into illumination and you start to you start to to, to gain insights and you start to really get under the skin of it. And, and like pieces of a jigsaw. You start to build a picture, but no one ever puts a jigsaw together by starting at the top left and doing the top row, then the next row, then the next row. You know, the, the, the jigsaw pieces come together as you see them and, mm. and, and um, they, they, they build up in a, in, a, in a fairly random fashion. So so, so I started with my, my starting point for the book was, uh, as you read out there, it was a question to say, well, you know, the, 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 there's so much happening in the world. And there's so much going wrong, um, and it just feels like life feels for people like a maelstrom of events and experiences, and and and, and it's hard to, to to put these pieces of jigsaw together and say is, is there any pattern, is is there a picture being created here, and and the only insight I had to start with really was was that um, was that all of these problems, leaving aside natural disasters which can happen. You know the vast, vast majority of problems in the world are, are, are clearly man-made, and if if they're man-made, then they have to be the result of human behaviour. And if they're the result of human behaviour, they have to be ultimately the result of human thought. So the origins of all of the problems must start in the human brain. And one of the manifestations of all of these problems is mental ill health. Being a being a you know a, a global uh, a global blight really um, and very much you know front of mind in the news that people are people are suffering. So if you follow that logically, um, 
the things that human beings are creating that are causing human beings to be ill, to be sick mentally, actually originate in the human brain. So they've come full circle from starting in the human brain through human action to create manifestations in the outer world, which are having a negative impact on human beings and affecting their mental health. So, so as a species, we're, we're effectively making ourselves sick. And, and that goes completely against evolutionary principles. You know, the, 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 it's, 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 it makes no sense for any animal or, or organism to sort of deliberately make itself ill. Yet we are damaging our environment. We're, we're, we're creating conditions that cause people to be physically and mentally un, unwell. So that was really the starting point uh, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a framing a, a question and a challenge. And, and my, my, um, my, my journey with regards to the book was to try and work out an explanation for all of that. How is that, how is that even possible? Mm. And if it is possible... How does it come about? Why is it happening? And if it is happening, what, what if anything, can we, can we as human beings do about it? Um, because obviously as, as individual humans, it, it, you, you feel extremely powerless. You feel like there's nothing that as, as, as one person amongst 8 billion people that really we can do um, as individuals to, to influence that that future and to improve things other than voting every five years for you know for a political party and then letting them get on with it and hoping that things improve and, and evidence is that you know things are actually getting worse rather than than getting better in many many ways so so that was really that was what i was i was sort of naively set out to <laughs> to write a book thinking that i could actually answer um and answer that question and I've, I gave it my best shot. So my, 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 my book is sort of everything, you know, it's possibly the only book that I'll ever write because I feel that like I've poured every, every ounce of knowledge and learning that I've, that I've got into it. And hopefully, hopefully and, in the future and, and I'll learn just, some to, more. Just, I'm sure, I mean, maybe the, and when the viewers um, get a hold of your book, they might, they'll understand this question. But were you actually, were you actually drinking something at the time? One of your old products? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering what gave you what yeah. what gave you the confidence to go. I'll have a go at that. Hold my beer or hold my Guinness, right? Well, it's it's a it's a very it's a very human characteristic to be overconfident, uh, as a, as I as I discovered uh, as part of this journey um, to, to a delusional degree for, for for most of us. So so I, I console myself with the fact that I'm perfectly normal in that respect. That I thought I might be able to answer it. Um, it's it's it leads you into all sorts of fascinating areas around complexity and around you know cognition and around um, the the history of human societies and their development. Um, but I think it's a but I think it's a it's a book that's also quite personal for people. I, I hope that when people read it, um, well, well, it's not a it's not an easy read. It's not a light read. It's it's a, it's a book that will certainly make you think and reflect. But because it's about how human beings think, and, and each reader um, obviously has a brain and, 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 and is thinking as 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 they're reading the book and hopefully reflecting on 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 what's written in there, and then using that to reflect on their own world, their own life, how they as individuals think, it, it, you know, it, it's it, it might be it might be something that can positively impact people's lives in small ways and help them change and help them see the world slightly differently. Uh, and, and help encourage them to be to be more active and more confident in in trying to in trying to change the world rather than sort of passively accepting that there's not really anything that we can do about it. Mm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the structure of the book so people know what to expect when they're when they're reading it. But I also get the sense that there were some there were some dark nights for you during mm. the during the process. Yeah. I just wondered if you'd share us with some of the challenges that you faced writing the book and and how you overcame mm -hmm. them. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've said, said many times if I had if I had a pound for every time I wanted to give up, I, I would I would have made a lot more money than I'll ever make from the book, from the book itself because it it uh, it, it was a a, a a journey that that you know that led me down to I mean I learned a huge amount because I had to do a huge amount of reading uh, because I'm a, I'm a marketeer so all of my skill sets lie in in marketing and innovation so that you know so so complexity science is not my background at all 
So, so everything that I now know about that, that subject, I had to learn from scratch. You know, I'm not a historian, um, so uh, I'm not an expert in ancient Greek philosophy by any stretch. So I had to do a hell of a lot of, a hell of a lot of reading in, in a lot of those fields. But um, you, 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 um, the, you know, the likes of Dr. Ian McGilchrist and you know, the Master and Emissary, and those those kind of books are were invaluable to to really help me learn and put learn from real experts in their fields and and put together jigsaw pieces um, uh, to, to, to help to help explain a very complex picture um, but very much rely on on different experts from 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 different fields um, in order to do so mm. so why didn't you give up um bloody mindedness determination I'd said I was going to do it um, uh, I think I think when I, when I told my wife I was I was um, I was doing it, she said something like, "Well, that'll be a bloody waste of time, won't it?" Or words to that effect. So uh, the, the classic Scottish yeah, optimism is that absolutely in true form. Yeah, right, I'll show you. That's fine. I'm going to finish this. With, you know, if it kills me. Um, but no, I, you know, it's something I wanted to do, and and and, I, and as I got into it, and as the pieces of the jigsaw started to come together, and, and little pictures started to form. Um, I became, you know, more and more convinced that actually this was worth doing, and that there was a there was a story to be told, um, and 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 I could actually provide not not the answer, and I'm not by any stretch, um, you know, claiming that this is this is the answer to to that massive question, but it's an answer, and, and I hope, and it's my answer, and it's my best stab at an answer, and I hope people will read it and. I, I, and be challenged by it to, to maybe come up with their own answers or to, to think about different ways um, that, that we could approach this thing to challenge, you know, my thinking, um, but to use it as stimulus to, you know, to start a conversation to really challenge themselves to think, to think differently. And part, part of what I talk about in the book is, is how modern society has kind of suppressed everyone's thinking in, in, in such a huge way. That, that we are we're, we're conditioned to think in a very shallow sense you know we don't we don't think about uh, we, 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 we don't think about big topics we don't have really have big conversations we don't um, spend our time wrestling and grappling with with you know really um, you know big philosophical questions about life anymore you know we're too busy watching the football on the TV or are, are waiting to see who's behind the masked singer and all of those things, and you know, and and and, and that's that's a that that's a you know, it's an indictment of modern society. I think that that's not a, not a positive one. And, and I talk about co- the need to increase consciousness, the increase to elevate our consciousness as a, as a species, so that we can actually see the bigger picture, and we can make the connections, and we can elevate our thinking to, to a higher level of coherence and global consciousness because and, and I know, so in that when you talk about consciousness there is a so so there's a there's an undoubted spiritual element to that right to consciousness mm-hmm. but there's also when you're talking about how modern society believe the suppressed thinking is there's, a, there's, a, there's an awareness kind of synonym to consciousness right is it what are you focusing on and also just a i guess in an agency element of what you know what do you what will you permit you what questions will you permit yourself to entertain like the questions that you put in the introduction are absolutely whopping questions which readers of shepherd walwin books will recognize as as themes throughout all the canon of, of books that anthony werner um drew to you know into that into that stable right just the very big questions and and when i look back at, at working class people where i'm from is they used to be an interest in those kind of things and people used to be about improving where you know improving their lot and improving where they're from but also just getting after it and engaging in important topics right and um whilst there may have been a belief about the easier betters there was also a thing well it's your responsibility to learn about these things mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you know a lot of that's a lot of that's been lost i think that, you know people people tend not to read anymore you know it's, it's it's difficult. We 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 now live in a in a culture where everything has to be communicated in sound bites, and and you know technology like Twitter is you know has has many virtues, but there are some subjects that you cannot debate in 
240 characters or cannot be conveyed mm. in 240 characters. And I think that leads to it leads to a polarisation of, of society. And, you know, you have to come down on one side of, of the fence or the other. Uh, and it's it's fueling conflict where whereby we know that most of the big topics are complex. They're nuanced. They require, you know, both sides, all sides to be explored and considered and some form of balance and, and, and compromise to be to be reached in order to to, to find a whole solution uh, and I think that um, I, th- I think that's been undermined by modern society and I know and we need to sort of recapture that and I think that's it's um, people need to become you, you said there's a corollary with awareness yeah as most basic level people need to kind of wake up and be aware that some of these issues are, are really, really important and need to be brought to the fore, need to be discussed, need to be addressed. Um, otherwise, we're just sleepwalking into, potentially into catastrophe. Well, and the other thing that I find that I think is perhaps most inspiring, Kenny, is, is, is looking at your journey is that it's, is it, it, it they are solved, they, you know, the, the, the things that you, that a normal person can engage on. Yeah, you know, and, and and you didn't have a background. Your background in social sciences kind of helped in a way, and mm-hmm. um, and you're interested in in ideas. Where do ideas come from? And I guess, and also, so why then? Why are there so few new ideas? Right. So you, you took that from a working with a client. We've got this problem, Kenny. We've got this great product. We can't sell it, or we need to find a better product for our customers, um, and they're stuck. And then you, you took that lens that you use to help people in a in a very small environment to a societal one. Mm-hmm. And 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 one way you think well you had no right to to do that, but you are <laughs> saying it's our responsibility to do that and have that that you were you were, we were joking about that confidence, but just the mm-hmm. there's a mustness to some of this stuff, right? It's like well actually whether whether you're able to or not, it doesn't matter. You need to, and mm-hmm. we need to engage on this. So let's get yeah. together and you know and, and get after this and, and engage in the topic. Uh, absolutely, uh, I, th- I think it's a truism that. That people at the top, so there's, you know, there might be a tendency to, to, to for, for ordinary people like us, um, and I consider myself to be an ordinary person, to sort of sit back and wait for the people at the top of society to fix things. And, and it's just not, you know, the penny needs to drop that that's not going to happen because the people at the top of society, A, they've got the same brains as the rest of us, and they're certainly no smarter than the, than the average person. And human beings generally, you know, individual human beings are not particularly smart. You know, we think we're much smarter than we are because we're, we're smarter than other animals. But we've become a successful species by being collectively clever rather than, than mm. being individually clever. And I think right at the very start of the book, I talk about how, you know, how, how you know, individuals alive today have got the benefit of all of human history behind them, all of the learning, all of the knowledge. Um, everything that anyone's ever discovered we have at our fingertips now yet individually we're not any smarter than aristotle was yeah so so what why is that why don't why don't why don't we have you know massive brains why have we not evolved to have massive brains because because we can now have all of that knowledge and it's because our brains are still the same brains as they were two hundred thousand years ago you know where the, the the actual hardware that we've got available to us hasn't really changed much since we were running around chasing you know chasing lines on the or running away from lines on the african savannah so so we've got we've got cognitive equipment that's not suitable for the for the challenges of the modern world so the only way we can solve it as as a species is to be to try to be collectively clever because it is the one thing our ability to collaborate and cooperate with each other is really what elevated human beings above other types of animals it wasn't that we were individually individually smarter it's collaboration cooperation communication mm. and that's that's what will allow the human species to 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 be successful and to flourish going forward and and as you know globalization has obviously you know a thousand years ago we were, we were all in separate tribes so so we didn't really have to worry about bumping into each other and, and um, but but with you know globalization now and people are becoming more and more integrated um, and, and the planet and the environmental concerns are becoming more and more heightened then the need for collaboration and cooperation is becoming you know more and more important 
and and that that increased individual and collective consciousness, I think, is what's desperately required for people to wake up and to see that we we need to work together um, much more effectively as a species to address a lot of the issues that human beings have because they're not you know the issues can't be defined in, into individual nation states or individual countries. You know, COVID is a, is a fantastic example of something that, you know, it, it, it affects everybody. And, and, and until, you know, the solution has to be a global solution. And, and, and you know, no, nobody's safe until everybody's safe. And all of those those phrases are absolutely, are absolutely spot on. So, so I think something like this has come along and, and, and you know, might act as a, as a real catalyst for opening people's eyes and, and helping the, the, the penny to drop that, um, that actually we need to work as one human species to to try and address a lot of our problems. Mm. Well, do you know, and um, I think if there was ever a time where where people could see that the the leaders um, don't have the answers, then I think now would be a decent decent time <laughs> Absolutely. to see that. Absolutely, and, and having reminders just today of of um, the utter unsuitability to leadership for so many people in positions of of leadership yeah and the utter absence and, it, and it's also as well then you look at us so well what why are we not stepping forward why have we chosen to delegate our authority to people who clearly are not worthy of it mm-hmm. um yep. no great point so let me just um so the the, the book is split into four parts mm-hmm. right so we've got part one seeing the shifting yep. sands of the human system yeah part two is into thinking the modus operandi of an ancient brain and part three into learning, origins and oscillations of a global mind, and then part four, growing, pitfalls, possibilities at the edge of chaos. So we've got seeing, thinking, learning, growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just wonder if you could if you could just go through the kind of things that the reader is going to get from from those elements and and you know mm-hmm. what, what they can hope to get from the book. Certainly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, because it's such a complex story because um, it's a story about complexity. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time reordering chapters and, 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 and restructuring and, and to try and tell the story in a... Because in a, a, you can only tell a story sequentially, mm. but of course the essence of complexity is that everything's connected to everything else. So it, it, then that becomes a, a, a simply a challenge of how you structure, structure the story. So it made, it made sense to me to break it down um, into the four parts that you've just mentioned there. So, so the first the first part really is about is about helping people to um, to or challenging readers to to really think about how they see the world. Um, so it's called seeing, uh, and it talks about about worldviews. Uh, and you know, we probably when we think about it, we, we all accept that that even though each of us perceives ourselves to be a free thinking individual. We all come from somewhere. We all um, see the world in a certain way. We just come from certain cultures that have conditioned us to have certain points of view. So um, it, it talks about different worldviews and, in particular, um, th- three three particular worldviews. That the 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 modern the, the dominant modern worldview of what I call scientific materialism. So and, and that that is a that has the lens, the dominant lens through which we see the world um, under scientific materialism is, is, is what I call a mechanistic lens. So it's essentially to, you know, to see the world as a, as, as a machine or, or within a machine metaphor. The, the, and that, and that's, that's the dominant worldview of the, of the, modern, the modern world. There's the, the creationist lens of, of what I call spiritual idealism. So, so you know, go back pre-Renaissance, um, uh, that the world was dominated by religion for, for at least a thousand years. So, so that was very much the, you know, the dominant worldview that was that the world was, was created by God um, and that knowledge and learning ultimately came from, from you know, s- spiritual guidance um, through the Bible and the Quran and so on and so forth. And then... The third, the third. So those have those have been the big worldviews in the past, you know, thousands of years. Um, but the one, the one that I focus on 
most, I suppose, is what I call an, an organic worldview. And that's the, that's the worldview that says, actually, the, um, the, the world is a living, breathing organism. And, and rather than human beings being separate from and superior to every other part of nature, we're actually just an integral part of nature. Um, and, and we have, because we have self-consciousness and we're, we're therefore aware of our own awareness and, and, and we know about knowledge, it, it, that's, that's the kind of thing that tricks us into thinking that we're, we're somehow separate and somehow superior. But actually, we, we're, we're just part of nature. And, and very much integrated into nature. So, 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 so that worldview is what I call integrative monism, which is a very, just a fancy word, fancy, fancy way to say that, that, you know, everything's connected to everything else and, and we're all part of one thing. And, and that one thing isn't a machine, but a living, breathing organism, mm. you know, the, the, the earth and, uh, and indeed the universe. And, and, and if we, um, you know, our, our part in that universe is um, you know is, is very important because we're currently damaging it, and because it's our it's our womb, it's our it's our life source. If we continue to damage it, um, there's a very great chance actually that we won't ultimately damage the earth too much because it'll just expel our species instead. You know, it's it's actually mm. much more powerful than we are. Yeah. So the, the great likelihood is it it'll just get rid of human beings rather than. Than, than allowing human beings to do it too much damage. So. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if the fleas bite the dog enough, the, the dog will give it a good shake or mm -hmm. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So so it talks it talks about worldviews and it talks about um it talks a little bit about complexity science, but it doesn't go in, into too much detail about that, but but explains um I'll, I'll, the world the world in two minds really has well it has three meanings really because it refers to two minds in terms of the, the, the human brain. And I think most people know that there are few, yeah. the, the, the human brain has two brain hemispheres. Um, and they, they, they operate in very different ways, but ultimately all of our thinking is the output of how the two brain hemispheres come together and work together. Yeah. Two minds also refers, however, to the individual mind. So each of us is an individual mind, which is a result of those two brain hemispheres. But there are 8 billion of us on the planet. So we, through our interactions with each other and in our societies, we, we create this kind of collective mind or global mind, or you might call that culture in, in, in different, different places. So, and, and different countries in different areas of the world have different cultures. So it's perfectly possible for the same human brain to create slightly nuanced and slightly you know, diff different perspectives and different cultures. Mm. as a result of which values become dominant depending on which brain hemisphere is dominant in each culture. And the third meaning is obviously is, is the common parlance um, meaning of to be in two minds. It's to, to be at a crossroads and, and to be unsure about which way we want to go forward. And, and, and really the choices that we're facing at, at the minute are to move forward with greater levels of global integration which, if we get it right, can can lead to greater peace, harmony, individual happiness, individual well-being. Um, but which, if if we if we get it wrong, could lead to a, could lead to a global superstate, which you know is is controlled by a global elite. Um, that we that we definitely want to um, avoid that that particular scenario. But the third option is that we never get to, we, we, we actually regress away from globalization and we disintegrate and, and we get to, a, a, you know, the, the, the countries of the world break down again into individual nation states and, and we build walls, literally and metaphorically. Mm. And, and interestingly, I actually wrote the book before, before Donald Trump came to power and before Brexit and so on. And, um, and, 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 you know, as things have unfolded, after I wrote the book, um, it's almost become, now this is maybe just wishful thinking on my part, but it, in some ways it feels like it's become progressively more and more relevant as, as the world has moved on. And, and, no, I mean, that this is just, I've not, I've not completed the book yet, um, but that's certainly the sense that, that I'm getting is that the message is, 
is more and more prescient. And and given that I wasn't, because it was published in 18, wasn't it? Is what I thought. It was published in 18, yeah, but I actually wrote it in 2015 and 16. Right. Okay. I, I so it just done that. Yeah. So there was a, there's a, there's a fascinating, um, I mean, whether it's a thought experiment or idea, just of, of this coming, of the ideas coming through your, your head, right? Because <laughs> when, when you were describing the, you know, the, 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 the process of, of, of writing the book, of wanting to give up, and it, it reminded me of, the, of Churchill's quote about writing starting off as an adventure, and then it, it becomes, it's kind of like a toy and amusement. Oh, this is great. And I'm really enjoying this. And then it's a mistress and then it becomes a master and then it becomes a tyrant. And then at the, the last phase is you've got to kill it and throw it to the, mm-hmm. throw it to the crowd before it kills you. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, there's, I know there's times when I, when I was writing the, um, the, the my first book was, it was, was this feeling of, of internal mental, uh, of having a fight in my own head and that I couldn't get away from it until mm-hmm. this effing thing was out of my head and on paper. Mm-hmm. and it was there was times where the kids would would i'd say goodbye to the kids and go to school and then they'd come back and i'd still be in my pajamas <laughs> you know, just, still wrestling just, with the same just same don't get, just go into the office and it got to the stage where i was afraid to go into my office because i knew what was gonna like mm-hmm. the fight that i was gonna have mm-hmm. in my own mind that this this thing needed to come through and mm-hmm. um i know when you when you study genius or i'm not you know i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's genius kind of, i think it's a terrific book um but the, the whole thing that genius was never an individual; it was always an energy. I don't know if you if you I don't know if you wrote about that in the book later on, but um, just this whole thing about effectively being, or in spiritual terms, of being a channel for for something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it, and it was and it was from God, and all the ideas of great scientists in in history that they were being inspired by God to to find these discoveries, right? And it's only it's only the last hundred years that we've had this idea that it was the individual and not. Yeah. And yeah. not through God, right? Absolutely. And, and, and it's only in the last hundred years through quantum science that the, 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 the idea that the, the very root of the universe is, is energy and is immaterial has, has mm. come back again. I mean, that, that's what the, um, you know, the, 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 the ancient societies believed and the, the Native American Indians you know, believed that, that everything was alive, that rivers and mountains were alive you know the eagles were special and 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 and, and, and you know classic science came along and, and newton and, and and descartes in terms of philosophy and, and created this framework that for hundreds of years everybody accepted that you know that the, 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 the world was made of material substance and that human beings were separate and superior to to to, to the earth which was essentially um, you know, ju- just resources to be exploited, um, and of course, you know, the, the notion that the, that the world is, is alive and a living organism has never gone away. It's always been there, but but the dominant thread for really up until probably up until the second the Second World War was really you know right all the way from the Reformation through the Renaissance through the Enlightenment, the scientific and philosophical revolutions, the Industrial Revolution. And then to the, the the two world wars and the, the the atomic bombs being the kind of zenith of 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 that um, you know science using science and technology to to destroy human beings and to destroy nature um, and and I think that was that was a schism that that woke a lot of people up post second world war to realise that actually we need to radically change the way we think but you know thirty years before that um, and it's probably in the twenties. When they had discovered quantum science, and that had radically changed, you know, the, the, the foundational premise of classic science that, that that everything was made made of solid matter, obviously discovered that actually it wasn't. It was it was pure energy, um, and, and and I think that over you know the next hundred years, that's that started to permeate through. So 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 things like um, you know non-local coherence is a is is a proven phenomenon in, 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 in um, quantum physics that kind of allows um, some form of reconciliation between spirituality and science. I, I see the organic worldview as having the potential to bring science and, and spirituality mm-hmm. together and, and reconcile them. 
and and where whereby classic science and the the the, the, the big monotheisms, um, I don't you know they can never be reconciled because they're 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 polar opposites and they're they're very much a kind of black black or white. You either believe in science or you believe in God, and 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 you know the two can never the twain can never meet. Whereas the organic worldview that on, on the one hand is believes in quantum science, but on the other hand believes in spirituality and some some aspects of quantum science like immateriality do allow um, you know greater coherence to come together from from those two sources of knowledge mm. and, and 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 to potentially be formed into a, a sort of unified philosophy of of existence. Amazing. So. Section two. So that was it. So, oh, is that well? That was section one, was it? <laughs> Did that cover? Did you could so to in section two, the modus operandi of the ancient brain? This you is where you, I mean, you do talk about the you know the, the right and the left, and um, yeah. but the ancient and the modern as well, right? So I know yeah. in brain theory they you can look at your left and your right hemispheres, but there's also yeah. there's the there's the evolutionary development of the brain yeah. where you you know your frontal lobes being the most advanced part mm. and being the youngest part of the brain, right? And often yeah. and yeah. also being you know, being, I mean, subservient or the weaker element when the emotional sensors or the reptilian sensors are, mm-hmm. are at yeah. work, right? So what we're going to get, what will, what will the reader well, get and what do they need to look out for well, in part two? Yeah, part, part two um, is very much focuses on the, the workings of the, of the brain. And, and, and obviously, um, I think I described this as, as a sort of last frontier of, of science. You know, in many ways, we, we know more about the universe than we do about the workings of the human brain. So even, even though it's, it's very intimate to us and, and sits directly between our ears, it's, it's, a, it's an area of knowledge that is still, you know, a huge amount of work to be, to be done, um, for, you know, for obvious reasons, because it's a very difficult thing to study. Um, a, a, a lot of the original work on the, 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 the differences between the right and left brain hemispheres were done you know was done way back in the 60s when they were allowed to 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 sever the the, the you know the corpus yeah. callosum and, and because people had epilepsy and they thought that was a way to per, perhaps um you know help and alleviate symptoms and so on so and of course we don't do that anymore so we don't have the same the, the same ability to study the differences but but uh, you know, I've done done a, did a huge amount. Of, this is not you know, this is not my area of expertise. Um, albeit I've always been very interested in it. But I did a huge amount of reading, and and you know, sources like McGill Christen and, and and Roger Sperry and various others were, were fabulous. Um, but but what what I what I think the, the key discovery in here or the key hypothesis in here is that um, our two brain hemispheres. Are both you know exceedingly valuable as you might expect, but they do operate in diametrically opposed ways, and and that's deliberate. And and you know all mammals have two brain hemispheres, so we think, as far as we can tell, that you know the birds and dogs work, their brains work in exactly the same ways, uh, and and it it's the it's the um, it's the power of opposites that make us that make us clever beings and the ability of those two hemispheres to process the same environmental data in exactly opposite ways and then for us to blend them that that that, that give us cognition but the important thing i think is that um that well all human beings you know operate with both brain hemispheres we we sort of develop a preference over time and this is something that i discovered when i was working in, in innovation that um, you know, in order to generate new ideas, then you know they, they often talk about your right your right brain hemisphere being linked to creativity, um, and 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 your your left brain hemisphere being less creative, and there is some some truth in that because what I, what, I, what you know I discovered was that that um, it it's a right brain hemisphere through which we first engage with the outer world. Um, and, and because it has, has stronger connections to our senses and our, our ancient sort of limbic system, which is the root of our emotions, so so we take in new new data from the outside world through our right hemisphere, and transfer it over to our left hemisphere, and our left left hemisphere is a bit more detached from the outer world, and and it's where we we create um, schematic memories. So whenever we have a an experience, 
we sort of record it in our left hemisphere. And, and, and in doing so, when we then encounter, let's say we encounter a dog in the, in the outer world, then we, we, our right brain hemisphere processes that, passes that information to the left brain hemisphere, and it's our left brain hemisphere that, that, that goes into its memory bank, if you like, and, and recognises, and, and literally recognises the, the, what the, right, the information the right brain hemisphere has given it, and, and passes that information back to the right brain hemisphere and says that's a dog. So, so there, there, there are, you know, it's a really important, um, it's really important that that's how our brain operates and it's a fundamentally efficient way for the brain to operate. However, where it becomes problematic is that the things that the left brain hemisphere deals with and processes and the way in which the left brain hemisphere deals and processes with data is very different from the way in which the right brain hemisphere processes data. And, and the big hypothesis is that our left brain hemisphere is the root of, of a lot of our conservative impulses. And the right brain hemisphere is the root of most of our liberal impulses. Because one of the questions that, that fascinated me was, what, why, why is conservatism and liberalism at the, the, at the two poles of our sort of political philosophies? Why, why is that the case? And importantly, why is it the case in every, all over the world? It's the, it's the same in you know, South America. It's the same in Asia. Conservatism and liberalism are the, are the two opposite poles. Now, that can't just be random. There has to be a reason for that. And, and I believe that the reason for that is because those are the two polar extremes of the modus operandi of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, respectively. And, 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 it, and it's the blending of those two opposite impulses that, that, you know, that society requires to create balance. Because our left brain hemisphere takes a narrow focus. Um, it's therefore the source of our more selfish impulses. And those impulses that say, I, I'm going to look after my group and prioritise my family, my group, my country over the other. And your right brain hemisphere, which is out in the, in, in the real world, is taking a much bigger picture and is, 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 um, is the source of your, all of those impulses that say, we're all in this together, society is important, we have to look at the big picture, we have to take care of, of everyone. And, and, and those opposite impulses, which is to, is to look after me and mine versus let's take care of everyone in society, are what creates the, 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 the political polarities. That then gets you to think, well, for example, in the UK, we have a political system whereby every five years, you have to pick either the Conservatives or, or the you know, Liberal or Labour Party. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. If good quality thinking is the blend of these opposite impulses to provide balance, coherence, collaboration, cooperation, it makes absolutely no sense to have a first past the post political system that, that allows you to that forces you to pick one or the other every five years. It's it's a bit like picking your heart to run your body and saying, right, you just run the body for five years. And then after five years, you can decide if you want to give the lungs a go and let, the, let, the, let them take over. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. So, so um, you know, if, if we want to move forward as a global society and become more peaceful, more harmonious, where collaboration and integration and, and cooperation is important, then you have to then build political structures and, and, a, and a political structure is just a sort of outer world manifestation of the schematic structures that we build inside our own individual minds but we've we've built a political structure in the uk in the outer world which is a direct manifestation of how the left brain would do it mm. the right brain wouldn't you know the right brain would have proportional representation so that you're then you still got elected individuals but you, you force them to collaborate and to work together by ensuring that no particular party can, can dominate. So, and that's just one example that I talk about in the book of how the, the, the real world structures that we've created are the manifestations of, a, of a, an overly dominant left brain hemisphere, which is, which is damaging the world yeah, that yeah. we live in. Amazing, amazing.
And and so so just to go to I've got so many questions, Kelly, for the next time, honestly. And, and so the, the one, the whole thing about learnings now. So we've, we've got <laughs> we've got seeing, we've got thinking, and, and you just gave yeah. a fabulous example there of the consequence of not understanding um, how we are as, as as thinkers, our beings, how our brains work, and and mm-hmm. a failure to to manifest that, that integration of the two. Yeah. So you get yeah. into learning. So what what will the reader get from from the learning section? Well, the, the, the learning section really is a is a take a very very broad sweep of the the historical development of human societies um, from the beginning right through to the modern day. So in, in three chapters, you've got a kind of ten thousand year sweep um, for, for, you know throughout known history. But uh, you know, but essentially. Um, if I was to, to synthesize it down and, and summarize it, what I'm saying is that, that human society has gone through, has always gone through periods where it has oscillated from the, the dominant uh, modus operandi being, the, from being the, the, the outputs of the left brain hemisphere to periods where it was more, it was more balanced. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I'm, I'm advocating um, balance and collaboration of the two brain hemispheres. Um, but but um, I think in, in 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 the first chapter is called the source of the Western psyche. So it goes way back to you know to sort of ancient Greek philosophy. Yeah. I talk about um, the the two you know really great examples of really the first ever um, deliberately manufactured societies, or, or at least that, that 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 have you know written history available to us, is the difference between the Spartan society and the Athenian society, which obviously coexisted at the same time um, and, and were at war with each other. And, and you know, the, the Athenians were all about, uh, with the exception of, they, they, were, they were extremely patriarchal, so women were still suppressed, but we'll come on and talk, talk about that in a minute. But, but notwithstanding that, the Athenians were, were a very open society, were very liberal, they were very, um, they, they, they were, you know, cu- cu- culturally fascinated by, all sorts of um, inputs from from outside, um, very much you know encouraged trade, and obviously democracy was was albeit they were still hierarchical. Democracy was 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 where um, Athens was where democracy was 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 founded. Simultaneously, you had the Spartans, so that's very much a kind of that's a very much a right brain dominant society that's been designed there. Simultaneously, you had the Spartans, which were, which were the exact opposite. It was it was all about a, a hierarchy of Autocracy, control, discipline, um, warmongering, um, violence. Um, uh, so, so, so very much the manifestation of a, a left brain dominant designer, um, which you know is, 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 is you know is fascinating to, to kind of explore and explain. H- haven't explained how the brain works. Fascinating to explore Athens and, and, and Sparta as two examples of direct manifestations of, of how the two brain hemispheres would design different societies. Um, I then talk about the, the um, and, 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 a, and a, key, a key part of that is um, I look at the, 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 the ancient history of, as far as we can tell, of gods and goddesses. And all of the evidence seems to suggest that, that up, until, up until maybe 6,000 years ago, all of the known expressions of deities were very much rooted in nature and they were quite often female in, in their expression. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of the artifacts that, that have been found from, from beyond 6,000 years ago um, are sort of what I call, you know, earth mother expressions of, mm. of deities. Um, they're either rooted in animals or they're, they're women. And, 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 you know, I think that suggests that the overarching philosophy was that the, 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 the earth was the mother of human beings. And because in order to be a mother, then the, the deities had to be female. And obviously societies were all, you know, were agricultural. So um, the need for a good harvest, the need for abundance, thanking Mother Earth for um for, 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 for harvests and for animals to hunt and so on would have been the, the dominant religion. It might not have been called religion back then, but that was a sort of dominant spiritual ideal. 
However, with with the advent, of, you know, what happened then was that at that period, um, tribes were nomadic. So people were, mo were moving around. There was lots and lots of space. But when farming and agriculture came along, static societies became more prevalent. Um, and obviously, if you had a static society um, and were able to grow food, um, population, there were more calories available, so populations grew, so that those static societies got bigger and bigger. And gradually, over you know, obviously this is over thousands of years, eventually um, societies had to then commandeer other land in order to, to, to satisfy burgeoning groups of people. And, and the soldier, the, 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 the need for a, to have soldiers was then sort of invented, if you like, for want of a better phrase, in order to protect the land that you had in your static society and in order to, for soldiers to go and commandeer other land and other resources in order to, to, to um, improve the lot of your particular tribe. And at, at that time, there seems to have been a divergence between men and women. Prior to that, it would appear that, that males and females were kind of treated fairly e equally, um, were, were, were of a much more similar size physically because the, the calories were more evenly shared out. And, uh, and, and you know, because the deities were female, that, that suggest, suggests that, that, that they were perhaps more matriarchal or matrifocal than, than in later societies. But once soldiers became important, Obviously, the male of the species were, were prioritised in, in terms of calories, and, and they physically, the, the physical differences between men and women got bigger. But what also happened was that the, that the, the, um, the, the, the requirement in all societies, there's a requirement in all societies to do, to do, to do two opposite things. On the one hand, is to assert yourself, and on, on, on the other hand, is to collaborate and integrate. So if you think about all, all animal behavior, think about dogs. Sometimes dogs bark and show their teeth, and sometimes they submit and show their bellies. Okay, And, and that's, that's a survival mechanism. Because if you're too subservient, you'll be taken advantage of. And so you have to assert yourself. But at the same time, if you're too aggressive and too assertive, there's a good chance you're going to get killed as well. So sometimes you have to submit and fit into the group. So, so, and we all do that as human beings as well. You know, sometimes we assert our own opinion. Other times we go with the flow because we, we, we don't think about that, but that's a, that's a, that's a very sensible way to, to operate. Now, so self-assertion and integration or collaboration are two opposite but sensible um, mechanisms and skills that you use in order to function in a society. Prior to that, those two mechanisms had been housed in every individual. But with the advent of the soldier, human societies, I think, essentially delegated a lot of this, the self-assertive qualities of human beings to, to men. So, so men became the soldiers. They became, the, the, you would go out there, you, your job is to go out there to fight, to dominate, to be aggressive, to control. And women their job became the, the nurturing, the, the teamworking, the collaborating, the cooperating. So, so rather than every single human being having those two skills, um, sets of skills equally, and those are, those are manifestations of the two different brain hemispheres, we kind of sent men down one particular path to, 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 to dominate the self-assertive qualities of, of, of human beings, and we sent women down the other the other um, path uh, uh, towards collaboration and so on and so forth. And, 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 and so over many thousands of years, my, my hypothesis is that, that through a combination of nature and nurture, um, the skills that we now associate with females, which is you know, nurturing, caring, um, being better at cooperation and collaboration, um, Whereas men are you know, poorer at those things, but 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 better at being stronger, more stoic, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, isn't isn't wasn't originally natural tendencies. That they were tendencies that were that have been created over many thousands of years. So we've now ended up in a situation where where boys are still kind of brought up to to to, to this boy code um, 
even in the modern day, you know, little boys are, you know, it's, 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 even when they're toddlers, they're given, they're given toys that are, are based on, on, you know, trucks and, and tools. And, 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 that, and, and girls are, are given toys that are teddy bears and dolls. And they're based on, so, so girls are, are kind of pushed towards relationship-based um, cognition. And boys are still pushed towards sort of mechanistic um, in the direction of science and, 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 and technology, if you like. The, the, the upshot of that is that, you know, to cut a long story short, is that in the, in the modern world um, where collaboration, cooperation, integration are the, the, the skills that are most required, that, that girls in the modern day are much better equipped than boys are through sort of thousands of years worth of conditioning to become better at building relationships, better at working in teams, better at collaborating, better at cooperating. And boys are still consciously or subconsciously conditioned to, to, to fight to get to the top of some form of hierarchy. And once they get there, they're conditioned to kick and fight and scratch and, 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 and ensure that, that they stay there and to build mechanisms underneath them that maintain the status quo and, and, and to stay there. And, and there, is, there is evidence that, um, that if you take large groups of societies and you can, you can assess the, them for right brain versus left brain dominance, if you take you know, tens of thousands of people together in a society and you took all, if you took all Germans, for example, you would have a, you would have a bell curve you know, you would have some people who are extremely left brain dominant, some people who are extremely right brain dominant, and a whole pile of people who are, you know, a mixture of the two. But when you aggregated them all together, you would you would pretty much have, you know, a balance. So, so as a society, you would have cognitive balance, even although you might within that society, you might have individuals who are extreme left brain or extreme right brain. And that's why we get, you know, political extremism. You get, you know, so... Far right politics is 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 a manifestation of extreme left brain dominance, and and the opposite is also true for for extreme socialism or liberalism. But as a society, on average, once you aggregate everybody together, you'll get a, a degree of balance. That's why democracy is really important, and that's why sharing power is important, and not allowing any you know too small a number of individuals to yield too much power, because they may they may well be individually imbalanced. However, when you take men and women, you will find that within, if you take all women and all men, a big groups of women and men, you'll still find a spread. You'll still find plenty of men who are right brain dominant and women who are left brain dominant. But when you aggregate them all together, women tend to be more right brain dominant and men tend to be more left brain dominant in aggregate. And, and as I say, I think that's, that's partly to do with thousands thousands of years worth of, of, um, of nature because if you go back far enough, then the men who were, who were most successful at being aggressive would have lived longest and their, their genes would have mm. been able to be passed on to the, to, to the next generation. And women who were, who were best at nurturing, who were best at keeping their kids alive, then their genes would have been passed on as well. So I think there's been a sort of genetic um, pathway for thousands of years that have made some of those skills, aggression and competition in, in the case of boys versus nurturing and caring in the case of girls, uh, has, made, has made them natural. But we also, can, we also still condition boys and girls differently from the day they're born yeah. in order to push them in those directions. But we've now ended up in a situation where where girls have got far more of the skills that society needs going forward. That's not to say boys don't have any of them, but on average, girls are more suited to the, 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 the higher level of consciousness and the greater levels of collaboration and cooperation that society needs in order to, to heal and in order to move towards peaceful integration. But unfortunately, boys still dominate society. You know, men the vast majority of positions, you know, important positions in whether political or in business or in media, 
are still dominated by men. So my conclusion, you know, ultimately of the of the book is that there's no there's no single silver bullet solution to, to healing society. But if, if there was one thing that we could do would, that would make the biggest difference would be to make women much more influential in how society works and, and give them more say in how society works, because that would lead us to a more um, collaborative um, approach to, to everything from business to politics um, and, and, and would you know, very much change the culture and the, and the dynamics of, of how the world operates at the minute. Mm. And, I, and that's got nothing to do, that's not, there's not to do with gender bias in any way. It's because on average, women are, are, you know, are more right-brained and therefore have, naturally have more of those skills. Now, clearly, there are plenty of women who are left-brained, so this is a really important point. You know, there are, there are many women who've risen to the top of business or politics, and quite often it's because they have learned to, 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 you know, to behave in the way that they know that they have to behave in order yeah. to succeed in that environment. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, that's a big okay. leap of faith to get there. This has been um, it's absolutely fantastic introduction to your work. Um, and this is, um, guys, really encourage you to get A World in Two Minds. It's available at Shepherd Walwyn and obviously all good bookshops. Um, do get hold of the book. And in, in a few weeks' time, we'll be doing another session of going even deeper into the ideas. But what I'm, I'm sure by listening to Kenny now, is this is a stunningly good book, um, staggering in its scope. And it's a meaty one, which is why it's kind of like, well, if you can get another mate to read it with you, then it's just that I think will be the probably the best approach because there's some there's some amazing stuff in the book. Um, so we'll see you again in a few weeks time. Kenny, really appreciate your time. Um, thanks very much. And, um, you know, until next time, you know, we'll see you again, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode on the Shepherd Walwyn podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. So be sure to subscribe so we can connect again. And if you appreciate the show, please jump over to iTunes and Podbean and give us some stars. Now, to get hold of the book, you can buy it in all the usual places. Um, there is a guaranteed supply at www.shepherdwalwin.com. And that's where you can post your questions. Simply go to the info page and send me, Jonathan, a message at books at shepherdwalwin.com that's books at shepherdwalwin.com and i will take it from there until next time keep reading <laughs>